we'd like to welcome you to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. In today's episode, our panelists are tackling the most common excuses that keep shops from being successful, and some you may not even know you make. Here's what's coming up. I think everybody at this point in my shop knows that if they've agreed to do something, they are going to hear back from me. I, I'm very, you know, detailed with my notes and my follow-up. So sometimes it doesn't happen, you know, the first or the second attempt, but doesn't mean that we give up. Sometimes we have to change tactics or try something different, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's an ongoing discussion. You know, a lot of people I think are resistant to meetings at first. If I'm working with a client, a lot of times the excuse that I get is, well, we don't have time to do that. You know, I think a lot of these excuses you know, the owner has to internalize the value. You guys already said it. If, if an owner doesn't understand the value, they'll never be able to sell it to their team. For a better business, a better life, and a better industry, the Institute's leading edge. Uh, this episode's about talking about excuses and dealing with excuses and getting your team more focused on solutions uh, than excuses. Uh, today we have with us uh, uh, Ryan Klo. Ryan works uh, as a consultant um, for the Institute and has two shops in the Cincinnati area. Um, thank you, Ryan, for being here. Appreciate you. Yeah. And uh, we have uh, Mr. Tom Lambert from uh, Shade Tree Automotive and also works with the Institute. Um, and uh, thank you, Tom, for being here. And last but not least, we have Alan Symes, uh, Revolution Automotive in uh, somewhere in around Boston. Norwood, Massachusetts. Norwood. Okay. Norwood. Um, and uh, uh, glad to have you here. Thank you. Um, let's talk about excuses. Uh, the consultants first. Uh, uh, let's talk Ryan. Ryan, tell me about the uh, excuses that you hear. Well, the title of this episode is one that myself, you, and I think a lot of other coaches out there hear, specifically when, you know, uh, someone is looking to improve. I mean, if you're not looking to improve, hey, whatever. But <laughs> most of us are. We would like to have see some positive change in our business. We might be frustrated, might not be, you know, happy with the results that we're getting. And so at some point we think, okay, we need to change. And we go looking for help and we find some help and someone says, oh, sure, yeah, uh, do this, this, and this. And like, no, no, wait, I, you don't understand. Where I live, it's different. I can't do one, two, and three. This isn't going to work for me. And, you know, my short answer, I think we'll spend the rest of this uh, discussing it. But, you know, if you're in another part of the world, another culture, I think that there are some significant differences. And I'm sure we'll get into minor differences, you know, like on the coast or in the Midwest. But generally speaking, this formula is the same all across the United States and Canada, where I believe you are now, Cecil. Currently, yes. Yeah, so for the most part, you know, if you're an owner out there and saying, you know, I've read this in the magazine, I've heard you guys talk about this, and this just simply won't work in my area, oh, well, I'm sorry to tell you that you're wrong. Uh, you know, I mean, we can talk about these little minor nuance differences, and, and I'm sure we will, but uh, generally speaking, you know, uh, this stuff is very possible. People are out there doing it, and sometimes uh, we can be our own worst enemy. I used to, um, I used to argue with people when they told me I can't do something. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, to me, it seems rather futile to try to argue with somebody to say, you know, this doesn't work in only in my shop. Um, I always, I always say I'm going to write a book that says, uh, Cecil, the title is going to be Cecil, you don't understand. 
Uh, and then whatever the next words that come out of your mouth are your, um, your limitation. It's, it's, it's your rock that's in your way. Uh, and, and you have to get that rock out of the way. Um, Tom, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you feel about that? You don't understand. I'm in Utah, you know, in Utah, you can't get customers in your shop to spend $800 on a ticket in general. If you do that, you're going to chase everybody away. Um, you can't be a hundred and I don't know what your labor rate is, but you can't be over a hundred dollars an hour because you're going to chase everybody away. Um, so how do you feel about those things that you're told on a routine basis? Yeah. Well, first of all, obviously, uh, you and I are very similar in the fact that I don't do well with excuses, you know, as business owners, as we create excuses, it just, uh, teaches our team to give us a bunch of excuses of why they can't do things. But I don't know. I think, uh, as shop owners, as I'm getting to getting more into the consulting thing, I think it's just based out of fear. You don't want to fail. So rather than uh, setting a goal or, or just going after the changes you need to make, you kind of uh, come up with reasons of why it won't work instead of looking at the things that uh, you can be doing. You kind of, you kind of come up with those ideas. Oh gosh, you know, uh, I'm here in Utah. Everybody's, uh, our area is commonly known for like coupon shoppers and uh, stuff like that. So, you know, oh gosh, I, Tom, it doesn't make any sense. We can't charge uh, what what that Cecil guy is always talking about. We can't do that here in Utah. I, I get that quite a bit even before I was a consultant, actually. Uh, just, uh, I think it's just a a way of avoiding blame of failure, I guess, is is why why us shop owners do that. I don't really, I, I actually don't fully understand it. I wish I did. I think uh, I, I think that's something I need to figure out a little bit more to help in my coaching careers to kind of understand where these where these excuses come from and how to help people overcome them a little bit. I think um, while we see it in a different way, I think that's one of the values of ha- having say a coach or a consultant, uh, you know, I'm dealing with multiple shops. I've got, I've got three shops in the Northeast. I won't say where exactly, cause it might pinpoint who they are, but they're all within about 20 miles of each other. And, um, you know, uh, one of them is telling me that you can't raise your labor rate past X and you can't do this and you can't do that. And of course he's not doing that and it's hurting his business. And the other two are doing it and getting it done. So is it really true that, you know, you, you really can't do it or is it, or is it, is the real truth that you really haven't tried it or even, even if you tried it and it didn't work, the way that you did it wasn't the right or the appropriate way to get it done. Um, I think that the reasons that these people come up with that they can't do things are as valid for them uh, as, as uh, you know, solid granite. Um, and, 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 and how do you, you know, how do you overcome that with them and help them understand that other people are actually getting the job done? Um, Alan, you're you're a, a member of the, the Northeast group. You know, we we recently met. How, how do you how do you deal with um, employees who say we can't do that or even other shop owners in the groups who say we can't do that? So I I mean, I, I, at one point. I was the one saying, I can't do that. That's crazy. But then you just do it. I think you have like a turning point. There's some sort of event or, or something in, that changes it in your mind. 
Because what I learned is that it's all like right between these headphones, whether you can do it or not. It's not in the other person's mind. It's in your own mind. And um, how, how do I deal with the, uh, an employee that says I won't do that? Well, it's kind of easy because you work for me and this is how we're doing it. And if you won't do it, you're not going to work for me anymore. Um, and everybody does it. And then I go, oh, wow, that was easy. And now look, life is better. Um, for instance, pre-booking appointments. Um, that's been a, a challenge for me since I met you and you told me that I need to start pre-booking appointments. And I'm thinking to myself, these people don't want to know when they're coming back for the next round of, you know, payments to the, to the auto shop. But we just started doing it. And now it's like eye opening as to how many people are, if, if 10 people came through the door and we go to, we, we go to book all 10 of them, Eight will say, great, we love it. And two will be, you know, not not really on board or not understanding why we're doing it. So 80% of the customers are coming through here leave with an appointment to come back, knowing when they're going to come back. Um, and that was just in my mind. Um, even though everyone else, everywhere everywhere else in the country that's, you know, any kind of a, like a top shop or a, running a quality business is doing that, um, for me it was just – convincing myself in my own head that it was the right thing to do for the customer. Um, and then I had a service advisor that we recently hired and then convincing him that as well. And once he tried it and saw the benefit of it, he it's now it's just routine and simple, easy process that we just execute. Um, but I see inhibition all the time in, in other people. Um, other shop owners around here that I talk with, you know, outside of any networking groups or smart groups or whatever, um, outside of training, um, I see it within our smart group. Uh, like you said, that there's like I could think of right now three shops I know of in Virginia that all do the same darn thing, and the most expensive one's the busiest one. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it's just it's really about how you build the value in what you're doing rather than. Um, making excuses for why you can't do it the value's there the consumer will buy but i'll i'll um i'm going to play the devil's advocate because that's part of what i'm i think i'm supposed to do here is the oh. guy you know run, kind of running the deal um but i tried that once and and it, and it didn't work so it it, do, it doesn't work here um, well let's let's see it works everywhere else it works for me here where i am how did you do it present to me how you did that and let's see what we can do to improve it to make it work. Okay. Um, I think there is a mentality that's a different mentality that when you are an owner, you almost have to have if you really want to be ultimately successful. And that mentality is nothing gets in my way. That's right. Um, recently, I was um, asked, and it's not the first time. I mean, I'm asked an awful lot, you know, what's, what makes a great service advisor or what makes a great owner? And I think the great, the people that are really great at what they do, they almost see no limitations on what they can do. So instead of looking at something and going, oh man, that's probably not gonna work. They're like, if this works, it's gonna be fantastic. Um, and it's kind of just a, a, a slightly different approach. Um, uh, uh, Tom, when you, come up against someone who says that can't be done 
Um, what, what thought process do you go through and how do you help them change their thought process? Well, a lot of that has to do with the relationship we have. Um, so obviously if it's somebody on my team or somebody close, uh, it's helpful because I can, uh, you know, I've, I've built that trust. So if I'm passionate about something, uh, everybody that's been closely on my team, we've won together so many times that, uh, you know, if they're giving me a little kickback or a little, a little, a little bit of a objection, we'll, you know, we whiteboard a lot. So we'll, we'll put the pros and cons of whatever, whatever our next idea is, or if it's my idea, we'll put the pros and cons. And uh, honestly, uh, I, I have an outcome of what I expect to come out of that whiteboard session. So I kind of guide it, guide it along toward the team will eventually come to the same conclusion I already had before we had the whiteboard. If it's something I'm passionate about, uh, if it's something we strongly disagree on, uh, I'll just flat out uh, ask them, Hey, you know, you've trusted me enough times and uh, we've won together, you know, 99 out of 100 times. So this is just one of those times that, hey, let's try this thing. If it doesn't work, it's not going to damage our business. And if it does work, this is what I expect it to do. So give me a fair 30 days or 60 days or whatever the whatever the new whatever the new idea is. I'll just flat out ask them to, to just trust me on this one and put all the effort in and and uh, we'll reassess it and, and take it from there after the next meeting is, is typically how I'll, I'll get the team to, you know, if it's somebody on my team, how to kind of get them to buy into a new idea. Um, if it's somebody I don't know as well, obviously I haven't built that trust for, you know, years and years. So it's a, it's a uh, I don't really have a good answer of how to do that. Uh, that's something honestly I, I struggle with a little bit because my, my team is so easy to, to kind of get on get to follow me along that if I don't have that same rapport. So if I'm working with a new shop or something like that, uh, it's a little more difficult to get them to buy in, but, uh, it's kind of the same theory, you know, Hey, trust me. Uh, I've tried this. It's worked. This is what I think it will do for you. Uh, give me a little bit of time. Let's put it to the test and see what it does. I think, I, people I, need, I think people need us, like getting your team on board is initially the hard, one of the hardest things to do because, if you're once you have it in your head as a shop owner, then then fine. But now you got to get your team on board. And if you've been falling on your face until this point, it's tough for them to follow you. You gotta you gotta show them. You gotta paint the picture for them of what success is gonna look like. And and you do that in many different ways. One of them is like setting goals that you know if you execute this process the way I'm laying it out here's the goal we want to achieve and here's what you're going to, here's what success looks like. Here's what failure looks like. And now, you know, and then once they see success, it's not that hard for them to follow you after that. They just want to follow you after that. Once they see your success. And that's the hard part. I think is getting the shop owner to see the success first in his head as a vision. Well, if the, if the shop owner can't buy in, then nobody's going to buy in. No one's going to buy in. Right? I mean, if you're the one saying we can't do this, then the answer is yes, you're right. You, you, you can't, you won't. Um, I, I think um, as far as getting people to come on board and, and trust you, at least here's my methodology is to pick a few easy things where you know that they can win and, and do the easy stuff and get the wins, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and build that, that history with them. Uh, at some point, you know, they know, hey, we've done three things that Cecil said, if we did them, we'd win, and we've won all three times. It becomes the fourth thing and the fifth thing become much more easier. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think also you have to prep someone for failure. Um, not everything we've ever done worked the way we wanted it to work the first time we did it, or even maybe the fourth time we did it. Um, Ryan, what do you do with the what do you do with the real failures, the ones where we don't, you know, what what we thought didn't really happen the way that we said? What do you do with that stuff? Hard, I think. There's a chance to reinforce an already negative belief, you know. But I mean, it's not that hard to look at historically speaking how many great achievements had a couple of failures. I certainly had several failures in my business. I hurt my back, I had a failed partnership, I didn't understand how to grow my business. Yeah, I mean, if you if you come to that point or you look historically or you talk to other people, you kind of understand failure is part of the process. If it's kind of like looking at maybe a, a market trend where you see something go up and it has a little dip and then it goes up. What you want to see is it's going up over the long haul, but you are going to have some, some short-term deficits. So yes, it, it's possible. I mean, I think a lot of people probably have specific you know, uh, questions based around this, like this didn't work. Like I tried to implement performance-based pay or I tried to raise my labor rate or I want this ARO and it didn't work for me. And I think, yeah, you have to ask, why did this not work? And I would go to the people that it did work and, and find out what did they do differently. It's it's a scientific method. Like what, what did I not have? I mean, if you try to raise your labor rate and you have a terrible salesperson up front that can't sell, yeah, you, you, know, you might struggle with that. Same with ARO or if you try to roll out performance-based pay in your shop, but parts never show up and each tech only has barely one rack, they're not going to succeed. There's a lot of reasons. And I mean, it's probably way beyond the scope of you know, the, the time we have allotted today. But suffice to say, there are people doing it. Whatever it is that you say you can't do, someone out there is doing it. So if, if your ego is not getting in your way and you're willing to you know, uh, look under some rocks and, and be diligent until you find the answers, the answers are absolutely out there. People are out there. They're succeeding. They're doing. There's a point in your life, maybe, where you didn't think you could get to where you are. You know, maybe you didn't think you'd own a shop at all. Now you own a shop. Look at how your perspective changed. So now here you are owning a shop, and you think, hey, there's this other level of success. Well, I, I don't know what that's like either, but it's still possible. Once you realize that, I mean, you realize there's an infinite number of steps in life all the way up until whatever you want to define your level of success at. I mean, there's uh, five, five shop owners out there. There's, I don't know, Christian brothers with hundreds of shops. I mean, there's people are out there doing it. There's, there's not necessarily a particular reason you can't do it other than like someone else said, it, you know, kind of what's in here, how motivated are you? Where will you find the motivation? And when you have the motivation, yeah, you need some practical solutions. You need some like do this, this, and this, and, uh, and record your mistakes. And if it didn't work out, You'll have to do some failure analysis and, and be willing to try it again. And yeah, you wrap that together with all the challenges of owning a business, managing people, and techs are hard to find. It's not easy because if it was, everybody would do it. Uh, but it also means the rewards are good and the rewards are, you know, a business you can be proud of. You know, putting food on on your employees' you know plates and customers who are like, thank God, I can, I have a shop that I can trust. So it's it's worth the effort for me, but. Yeah, there's times where it's really hard. So, I, 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 there's a saying I can't, re- I can't remember it clearly, but um, if other people can, I can, and if other people can't, it doesn't mean that I can't. Um, uh, I always looked at life in an interesting way. I, 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 I don't know that I'm 
abnormal, but maybe I am. I always thought if someone else could do it, I could do it, um, whatever that is. And I know there are people successful running successful shops with high average repair orders and lots of happy customers. And if somebody like Tom can do that, I mean, Tom's not the smartest guy on the block. I should be able to do it. I mean, um, uh, what, what, you know, we're, we're not at the end and I don't want to be at the end We're we're, we're only 20 minutes in this thing. But what do you tell, what do you tell the shop owners that say, but, but, uh, but you don't understand. I mean, you obviously don't understand that I'm in wherever I'm at and, and where I'm at, people are this way. Um, Alan, what do you tell them? What, what do you, what do you tell someone who truly feels that they have some unique situation that they cannot overcome? I just, you know, I tell them to try, you know, you gotta do it. You gotta believe in it too. And um, I've actually invited people to come to my place and see how I do it and show them what I do. And, um, and then they, they come and they see and they're like, I couldn't do that. Well, why not? I could, <laughs> I mean, um, we have, we have a guy in our group who, who's having a hard time with that right now. And he's in a bad area and he had me shop his shop on the phone to, to check out his, um, his service advisor. And I called him back afterwards and I said, you need to either get that guy into, into some serious training now or let him go and probably just let him go because he's not got it. He doesn't have what he needs to do this. He's just, he was mean, rude and whatever. But I, I don't know. I tell them to try. I tell them to, to believe it and just and, and own it and just do it. I mean, Nike's got it. Just do it. Um, Stop with the excuses. Um, they're not going to help you move forward. Nobody got forward by saying, nobody got ahead by saying, I can't do that. George Washington crossed the Delaware. He didn't have an option but to do it. You know? I, I, in, my, in my life, I don't have that. Failure is not an option. Failure is part of success. Yeah, I, I've had lots of things where I fell on my face, and, and I just dust off, get up, move on okay tom how, how do you i mean i i know what the answer is i mean if you don't believe it you're not going to have it yeah period you're just not going to have it um <clears throat> excuse me the more i believe in it the more the people around me believe in it the less i believe in it the less they believe in it whatever it is um you know i'm I can't say that I'm ever satisfied even with where we're at or what we do. There's always more. I always think, I always think man, if we could only do X, um, how do we do that? You know, I spend my time and energy on how do we do that. Uh, Tom, how do you get people focused on, uh, uh, on solutions and away from making excuses? Well, um, I just don't allow excuses. I don't, I don't make excuses. Number one. Um, I think that's where it starts. You know, almost every problem in every shop starts with, starts with me, starts with us as the owners. Uh, so I don't make excuses and, uh, I admit fault when I, when it's my fault. So, uh, so that I set the stage for that. And then, uh, honestly, we just don't, uh, 
even in meetings, part of our team meeting rules are you can't bring up any kind of problem if you don't have a proposed solution. So you're not allowed to just point out uh, like nitpick negative things because you're always going to have someone in the group that's kind of a uh, kind of the negative Nancy that kind of sees the the you know he doesn't remember the twelve. Uh, 15 hour tickets you gave him. He remembers the 0.5 that, you know, the service advisor flopped on, you know? So for us, we just don't allow excuses. Uh, if anybody's going to ever bring up a problem to me or a problem in a meeting, uh, they have to have at least a, a proposed solution of what they think we need to do separately. That way, uh, that way it kind of focuses people on the solution end of it rather than the the problem if not everybody kind of gets focused on gosh you know parts are slow uh or uh, whatever the silly things are that go on they if you make everybody on your team come to you with whatever they propose we do to solve the problem uh that helps and nobody's allowed to just come and uh nobody's got allowed to just come and complain to complain if they're going to come to me and complain they better have some kind of offering to me of what they think we should do next so so it's, I, it sounds like there's um, at least a pattern here. Uh, Ryan, are you are you having regular meetings with staff? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And Alan, are you having regular meetings with your staff? Yeah, I have uh, every Monday we have a full team meeting, and then every two weeks we have a manager's meeting where I have, like, my foreman, my my service advisor, and myself. Oh, okay. And, and so you set up... Regular communication. Now, in this regular communication, uh, Tom called it whiteboarding. Are you, are you, um, uh, 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 Ryan? Are you guys um, regularly whiteboarding things? Um, uh, uh, I call it strategizing, and and I call it whiteboarding because we do it on the whiteboard. But are you strategizing um, issues, problems, uh, concerns on a regular basis? Yes, I, I don't use a, a physical whiteboard per se, but I. I usually start any meeting out with, you know, like, and I also meet on Monday, one shop, Tuesday, the other shop, and I say, how did the previous week go? Yeah. And start with that. Just what are your general feelings? Like, was it a good week? What did you like? What did you not like? And I typically have a list, my own list of things that, that I know we're kind of working to improve and, you know, we'll kind of get to that. And, you know, half of it's a chance for people to be heard. People want to be heard. They want to know they have a say in what's happening, a say in their own work environment. And a lot of good ideas, you know, come out of those meetings. And it's also a chance to hold people accountable. And if we determine that there's something that needs to change, we talk about it. We talk about what we're going to try, how it's going to get rolled out, who's going to roll it out, or who's going to be responsible, who's going to follow up. You know, it may be me. And, you know, I might end up taking some notes that says, all right, you know, this is what we're going to do. And then I think everybody at this point in my shop knows that if they've agreed to do something, they are going to hear back from me. I, I'm very you know, detailed with my notes and my follow-up. So, um, and, you know, and sometimes it doesn't happen, you know, the first or the second attempt, but it doesn't mean that we give up. Sometimes we have to uh, change tactics or try something different, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's an ongoing discussion. And I, you know, a lot of people I think are resistant to meetings at first. If I'm working with a client, a lot of times the excuse that I get is, well, we don't have time to do that. And, I, you know, I think a lot of these excuses you know, the owner has to internalize the value. You guys already said it. If, if an owner doesn't understand the value, they'll never be able to sell it to their team. Mm -hmm. uh, and then even if they do understand the value, it's still, it can be a process. <clears throat> to me, it's always the last resort to say, you know, I'm the owner doing it this way. I just, 
you know, I, I try to work with people nine times out of 10, you know, we'll get it done. And it might take a little while to kind of, you know, work out the kinks. Uh, like, like I said, with a regular meeting, that's one example. And, and I've seen shops do whole shop meetings or just management meetings. You know, there's, there's some room for flexibility. It's not always that there's one exact way to do it, but um, here's what we're trying to accomplish. And here's a couple of different ways we could go about it. But yeah, the shops that have regular meetings, to me, in my, in my experience and opinion, uh, have a much better chance of success. They have more chance at, you know, people buying in. Um, and in the spirit of the topic of this discussion, you know, um, you know, it's not where you live, things that can't change. You need undistracted time. You can't just walk over to somebody when they're sitting at a desk near a phone or when they're near the hood of a car and talk about this stuff. You have to make the time. And that's just, I guess, yeah, there's going to be one less car that gets done today. But in the future, when things are running smooth, we'll get five or six more cars done. You have to be willing to, to make a little bit of short-term sacrifice to, yeah. you know, to get that growth. That's so, that's so key. Yeah. Uh, we lose the system? Cecil is frozen. <laughs> Am I? Must be that Canadian internet. Go, go ahead, uh, uh, Alan. Go ahead I was and talk. Just, I was saying that that's so key because uh, one of the, like I had such a hard time with, um, I was always making excuses like, okay, I, I can't. Um, I, you know, taking an hour out of a day to, to, to have a or half hour out of a day to have a meeting. I'm like, oh man, my guys can produce so much in that half hour. But, you know, now we have meetings right now, our current topic that we're trying to resolve, this is always something we want to improve. And then we follow up on it the next week. Um, and right now it's productivity. We want to be at 120% productive because that's when everybody makes a lot of money. And, um, we're working on that. Once we're at 120% productivity, all that, that meeting time is nothing. I mean, who cares? It, it's already nothing, but I mean, we've developed systems and processes in these meetings and we've fine tuned them and we found ways to work together to make them more efficient. And that's been the key to the meetings, you know, to the, that time lost doesn't matter. It's like, how could we not do it? I, mean, I would never not do that now. Um, same thing with like closing for lunch. It shocked me. It took me years to, to close the shop for lunch. And people, some people do it, some people don't. Um, I said, all right, I'm going to try it. And I tried it last August. We closed down. And in August, we had uh, our productivity went up. The guys still got all the work, same amount of work done, and did it in less time. And now we close for lunch every day. Um, so, yeah, but, but you got to go on a limb. I mean, we're all owners. We're business owners. We're going out on a limb anyways. You're, why not go out on the limb a little further and try to make it more fruitful? You know? I, I, I think um, we're starting to talk about methodology for overcoming um, uh, excuses, um, overcoming problems in our thought process. Um, we're, we're at the mid mark. We're going to stop here for just a second and then I'm going to come back and, uh, I think I've got another great question. Uh, we have a, uh, company culture class at the Institute. Uh, I think it's one of the better classes and I think it's part of what we're talking about is creating, uh, the right culture in my business so that we're solving problems and moving, uh, the business forward. That is on August the 17th and 18th. Uh, you can register at the Institute at I4ABE.com, I4Abe.com. Uh, we'd love to see you there, and you can go to ifrave.com 
look at the classes and see what our upcoming classes are. Uh, we got some great stuff. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I think that we have uh, limitations in our thought processes. I think that we have limitations, our, our employees have limitations in their thought processes. And I think one of our limitations is we're so busy trying to get those cars out today or trying to take care of every customer today, we don't want to interrupt that with um, a meeting, with a solving a problem. And sometimes can be difficult. Um, you guys, uh, at least um, um, Ryan and uh, Alan, you've both said, yeah, but when you solve the problem, then the business runs better. It's The result is so much better than where we were. A lot of the shop owners use their time as an excuse or lack of. We can't have a meeting. We don't have time. We can't stop and solve this problem because we don't have time. And then the problem persists and persists and persists. And, and in fact, I don't think it ever gets better. I think it actually gets worse uh, until the point where it actually does stop the business uh, because we're not making the money we need or because the, the process can never be followed. Uh, we can't get the parts here, you know, whatever that is. Is there, uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm just setting the questions up on, and, and, and I know what the answer is. What's the purpose of stopping what you're doing? Uh, I, I need to get these cars out. I, I mean, I've got customers we've made promises to, but Ryan tells me, well, we may not get that car out today. Uh, if we're going to, uh, you know, have that meeting, we're going to stop the process. What, what's the, how do, how do I do that? I mean, it. Can I, can I do it? I want to make an analogy. A lot of, um, yeah. a lot of us people listening to this, the shop owners, they used to be technicians, right? It, it, if a car comes in with a problem, I'll use oil consumption as a problem. Customer comes in, the oil light is on. So you give it to a technician, he puts oil in the car, he sends them on the way. They're back the next day. Hey, the oil light's on again. Okay. How many days in a row are you going to continue to just put oil in this customer's car before you actually dive in and find the problem and fix it and have it stop being a bother at you, interrupting you from everything else you're doing to make money? You got to you got to figure out what the real problem is, and that takes time. And you know, it takes time. You would charge a customer to diagnose it. Well, you're the shop owner. You're going to pay the price to diagnose it. It's your time, you know. And but you got to do it. Because in the end, it's going to be a better life for you and everyone that lives, that, that works in your business and everyone that patrons your business. It's not just about you, in my opinion. I, got, I have five other people that work for me, and I have my entire family at home that depend on me to make sure I'm successful. I have to be successful, not just for myself, my own personal um, desires, but I have to be successful for all these people. And the decisions I make affect a lot of lives besides my own. And the indecisions affect those lives as well. Tom, Tom, but 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 you guys don't understand. I mean, I'm trying to run a business, and I've got demands of me, and I don't have time. I mean, shit. I get here at six in the morning, and I go home at at, at nine at night, um, uh, uh, because I'm I'm busy, man. So, Tom, help me out. You, you you guys are telling me to have a meeting. You guys are telling me to solve problems, but I'm so deep in it, I don't know how to get this done. 
Yeah, that's 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 it. That's that's actually probably the num- number one objection I come up to. Uh, you know, trying to get trying to get guys in my area just to come to our classes. You know, you know, Tom, uh, I don't have the luxury of being like you to be out golfing in the mornings and whatnot. I'm actually working all day. I don't have the time. I don't have the time to come to class. I don't have the time to have meetings. It's like, well, if you would take the time to come to class and go to meetings, then maybe you could join me for golf one of these mornings, you know? Um, so I get it. I, I, uh, so um, I'm one, I started out, I've worked my whole life commission, you know, 14 years old. I was a flat rate commission doing whatever my dad would let me do. So I, I, I get the, I get where the excuse comes from, but um that's still an excuse, right? We're not calling it uh, anything else. We're calling it an excuse. So I get the fact that uh, I was the I was the I was the exact person that just worked hard rather than worked smart. Uh, that's what I was taught to do. Is uh, uh, I think that's why a lot of us shop owners are shop owners too. We're just we're just willing to put in that extra effort. But uh, you have to slow down and think about things because working smart. Uh, Trump's 10 to one working hard, uh, which is hard to say, but, uh, when you can do both, that's where the magic happens. But I would rather, I would rather be using my brain than, uh, than my hands, you know? So I think, I think it's really funny that, you know, what I'm hearing from a lot of older shop owners, so the, my generation and, and, and older is these young people, they don't really want to work. Um, and, and, and to me, Working smarter and not putting as much energy, physical uh, time, et cetera, into it and still getting the same job done is is really the thing to do. So I know all three of you guys have kind of been involved in your journeys. So, Ryan, there was a point in time where you were working. I, I, I don't think you ever worked super hard, um, but, but <clears throat> maybe... I mean, you guys were coming in when you know in the morning, eight thirty nine. You were staying till eight or nine because you love the cars, all that. You you don't do that now. What was the impetus for the change? What was it that got you to go? I'm not going to do this anymore. I I mean, I want to do something else. I mean, that particular example, yeah, it's true. <clears throat> My very young days, we worked ten to seven instead of eight to five because that's what I wanted to do. It was more personal at that point and what made me change well I needed to hire professional technicians and you know these guys might have liked coming in at 10 they didn't like leaving at seven they had families and so in order for me to you know get my business to the next level I had to I had to make a change I had to change the hours that I worked and um so yeah just shifting those hours back um and I don't know I guess I thought it was a convenience for customers to pick their cars up late and I suppose it was for some of them but you know, did all my customers run away from me? You know, no, um, they didn't. So, I kind of, I kind of mean more than just that. Even though that's kind of one of the points, right? I mean, you you had to change your hours, but you have changed so much in your business from where you were, say, six years ago, seven years ago, to today. Uh, now you own two companies. Um, I don't know what your work schedule is today, but I guarantee you, you're not working fifty hours a week. Um, I don't see a, uh, I don't see a uniform on you. When was the last time you worked on cars? Well, why why did you make those changes? I think I mean at that time in my life, 
you know, I had a business. I could say that I owned a business and, you know, I did, I made my own hours sort of, but more of the business ran me in a way. And I would say it wasn't sustainable. What I was doing was not sustainable. We weren't really inspecting cars. Cars were coming back. We were fixing a lot of stuff over. We weren't making much money. The growth potential was going to be really limited. I was just very, very stressed out. And that's the part of it that wasn't sustainable for me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, had to take a lot of my assumptions and they had to be challenged. I got very much outside of my comfort zone. And I see people now, not necessarily just even in our industry, but anything, you know, a friend of mine who cuts hair or who runs a restaurant. And I just call it the tradesperson's dilemma. You know, a lot of us started out doing something that we loved, whatever that was. For most of us here, it was working on cars. And we have to make this transition over a period of time to really not doing what we loved anymore and maybe doing something that maybe we could learn to like it, maybe we vehemently hate it. I mean, being a service advisor, selling, doing human resources, doing management, doing finances. For me, there's a parallel to working on cars, though. I am problem solving. On a car, you problem solved a lot of different areas, the cooling, the exhaust, the electrical. And it's similar in business, problem solving human resources and staffing and, and marketing and balancing all those other things. But it is most certainly a journey. And it's going to get harder before it gets easier. And I think there just comes a point where probably you're just frustrated enough to where you're like, well, if this is going to be the way it is, I'm just going to close up or I'm just going to burn myself out or have a heart attack or stress myself out. You know, am I willing to get outside of my comfort zone? Maybe try something that somebody else says works and see if it works for me. And, and yeah, is it going to get worse before it gets better? And well, at this point, you know, and honestly, I think, you know, a, a fate worse than death is, a, is mediocrity or just being stuck there. I mean, it's one thing if you fail and you just move on to your next phase of life, but I do see some shops out there that are just, they're just treading water, like, perpetually. And I, I feel the worst for them because I feel like there really is more out there. It doesn't have to be, I'm not saying it's not hard or challenging, but in different ways. You don't have to have this crazy chaos factor where you can never really feel caught up and, you know, maybe your coworkers are always, you know, kind of, a little bit angry and you have this kind of negative work environment, this negative culture, and you just, you just kind of, the business is running you and it doesn't have to be like that. I think it's interesting that, you know, um, there are so many business owners. I think I look at my father, I think he was trying to kill himself. He just was on the slow road. He couldn't do it another way. So why not just work myself to death? And, and then at least this will be over with. Um, uh, I, I'm in the same boat. I think, man, I know so many shop owners that really life is completely different. Alan, I mean, you know, you, you know, five years ago, where were you at and where are you today? You know, it's a, it's, it's a different life in so many different ways. Um, I'm just trying to, you know, for those shop owners that are listening online, man, there's a, there's a way to run your business that can be very, very, rewarding in so many different ways and, and, and not as stressful. Um, Tom, what was your impetus? What, why, why did you make the change? What, what, what forced you, what put you in that position? You know, what was the impetus to say, okay, I'm going to try this, even though I don't know that it's going to work, even though it might've been costly at the time. Well, the path I was going down just wasn't sustainable. Um, I actually, I actually enjoy working. Um, 
most wouldn't believe that that know me lately because I goof around a lot. But I actually, uh, I don't mind putting my head down and doing a 12-hour day. I actually, uh, uh, that's just what my dad loves to do. So I think that's just instilled in me. But uh, for me, stress levels, uh, financial burden and uh, debt, stuff like that just freaks me out. And uh, quite honestly, I am not the the family man that my family deserves when I've got that stress burden on me. Uh, I have, uh, I had to do some soul searching and really learned kind of what, uh, what triggers some things in me that, uh, that, that people don't deserve to be around. And, uh, financial stress was one of those. So for me, uh, having a successful business that, uh, was profitable and I could just take care of problems as they arose rather than, uh, always being in disaster mode uh, was just a must for me. You know, uh, family's number one for me, and uh, my team is uh, is right there equal with my family, to tell you the truth. So my family and my, des- my team deserve the best, and uh, running a successful business is, is what it takes for me to give them what they deserve. So. On, your, on your path, um, I know that you had failures along the way on your path, but you got up and, and you you tried again or you moved forward again after the failure. How, how did you do that? You know, that actually isn't too hard for me. I, I, I have amnesia. I don't, I don't really focus on the things that went bad. I don't, I don't really care. You know, I'll, I'll make some notes of what went wrong and I'll just focus on what's next. So I just, uh, I just, you can kind of choose what you focus on. You know, you can choose to focus on, Oh gosh, I, I tried this once and, or oh, gosh, Cecil convinced me to try this one thing and it didn't work very well for me. Uh, you can focus on what didn't work well, or you can focus on the, on the, on all the other things you did. Cause I guarantee almost everybody in life is, is one. I would hope almost everybody's won more than they've failed. But if you focus on the times you've won, you kind of find the pattern of what you did during those wins and you win a lot, win a lot more often than, than fail. So, uh, for me, it's just focus on the positive rather than the negative is kind of how I do it. I don't really remember. I'm sure I've had plenty of failures, you know, but it takes me, it takes me a lot longer. I have to really think about uh, a failure, whereas wins, they just pop up quickly. So for me, I just choose what I focus on. Do you think that, um, do you think that having that focus in, in the win columns, a lot of technicians are, their whole job is finding what's broken constantly and focusing on the what's wrong constantly and it bleeds over everywhere else. Do you think that having that that made that shift that you have a a, be- a better life in, in more than just financially? Oh, 100%. Yeah, anybody, uh, anybody that knows me very well at all uh, can tell a huge difference in my, in my life over the past say five or six years compared to the, what it was before, uh, stress levels and everything are a hundred percent change. So yeah, very much so. Alan, what about you? What was your impetus to, to make a change in your business? Um, I mean, I've always been driven to succeed. I came from a really, I mean, I grew up on welfare with nothing and my mom literally drove us on it, rode our, we all rode our bikes down to the Salvation Army five nights a week for dinner. I mean, that's how poor we were. Um, so I've always been driven to succeed. When I was 12, I was putting bicycles together in the back of a box truck downtown, um, getting paid per bike, you know, and, and 
there was money under the table and that's how I bought the video games I wanted to play with. And that's how I got by. And um, I've just always had that drive behind me to want more in life. Um, my wife always says, um, I'm never happy. And it's because I'll achieve a goal and now I got a new one. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and that's fine with me because, you know, I've fallen short of my goals. I think the key is to, like, um, Tom was talking about mistakes. And um, I try not to focus on my mistakes, but I, I learn from them. And I, and I think I actually learn more from my mistakes than I do from my successes. Um, success is great. There's nothing to learn. It worked. I know. If I failed, man, I got a lot to learn. Why did I fail? How did I fail? What do I, I still need to get where I need to be. How am I going to get there? You know, and it's not like um, you, you don't give up. That's the key, I think. You don't give up and stop making excuses um, for, for why you can't do it. And, and more importantly, focus on how are you going to do it. Because I think that the grass is greener on the other side once you get there. Well, the grass seems to be greener on the other side all the time, and we don't realize that somebody mowed the mowed the grass and watered the grass and fed the grass, which I, is what we have to do. I have the nicest lawn in my neighborhood, and everybody gives me crap about it. Well, I spent a lot of time and work and money and effort, and my water bill is three hundred bucks a month. Like, <laughs> damn right I do. <laughs> I think something. I think something that Tom said is is a very much a key. Um, I hate failure. I mean, I hate making those mistakes. They 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 burn me to the core. On the other hand, I have a really short memory too. I mean, so what? We 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 fell down. We fell on our face. We, what's next? Right? I mean, let's go. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think the other thing is that idea that if somebody else can do it, I can do it. Um, I know there's a way to ha I know there's a way that it can be done. I know there's a way that it'll work. Um, and it's out there and I got to find it. Um, uh, uh, Ryan, do you have a short memory for, for, for failure? What do you mean by a short memory for failure per se? Like, well, you know, we, you know, uh, uh, I tried this thing. It didn't work. Um, do you dwell on it or are you the guy that goes, okay, it didn't work. What's next? I think, I mean, I'm just inherently at heart a problem solver. I always have been, I think as a technician who grew his own shop, I mean, I think most of you guys out there are the same way. How often do you let a car beat you? I mean, maybe never, or maybe a couple ever. So, yeah, if there was a car I couldn't fix, yeah, you better believe I was going to try it again at some other point. And yeah, you know, I, I think it's worth mentioning because I've kind of brought this up before. A lot of the technician-owned shops, for the shop owners out there, and there's a few that were never a technician, maybe ones that say went to business school or went to an MBA. A lot of what we're talking here doesn't even apply. They already understand the processes before they came into business. I think it's fascinating to look at how different those shops are and. It's not that one is better than another, but I think if, if technician-founded shops would take a little more time to just understand, wow, there is this other knowledge out there that I don't have or that I might need, and maybe that's the, the difference between you know where I'm at now and where I want to be. Uh, I think uh, another analogy that kind of you know comes to mind, I mean, I don't know, the people who say I can't do it, I mean, I don't know, maybe more maybe more rural areas. I hear people say, well, it's just different out here. I think wherever you are, take any business, take food. We all have to eat, right? Whatever your town or your city is, 
you know, you got someone with a hot dog stand, you've got somebody with, you know, an average restaurant, and you've got somebody with a better restaurant. And, you know, and which one do you want to be? I think, you know, if you're, if you're the hot dog stand, if you're $50 an hour or $60 an hour, yeah, you're the hot dog stand of auto repair, and you don't have to be that. Somebody else is the mid, the mid level. You can do that. Um, it's, it's kind of deciding what kind of shop you want to be. And if you can be sustainable, run a hot dog stand for a long time and, you know, all your customers are happy with the cheap prices and you're not stressed out at all. And, and you can always pay your bills on time. Great. I'd love to talk to you, but, uh, that's probably pretty unlikely. Mm. The, um, the, the shop owner that's a tech doesn't want to uh, uh, see failure, admit failure, find failure. And, and so much time is focused on failure and things that are wrong. How do I get my people to shift from being focused on that? And, 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 and we've already kind of talked a little bit about it. I mean, meetings where we discuss things, uh, 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 strategizing. But man, it's a tough, it's a tough job. Um, think back to before, you know, you went through the program before you, you know, made the changes. Um, Ryan, what, what did you do? Because I know we had a couple of guys that were, you know, Cecil wants to make us into a Midas. Stop. <laughs> stop. Just stop. Yeah, and I, I, I think, I, I think with, that, with that framing in mind, I, you know, you, you could say that, sure, I was stuck on some of the failures. I think the biggest difference, you know, that, that happened to me over a period of time I was just in my bubble and I don't know if anyone else is like this. It's like, I built this shop. Look at this cool thing that I've done. It's kind of my secret, how I do everything. I have my ways. And uh, every now and then I'll go to a conference and I'll, it's rare, but you'll hear two guys in the corner. They're kind of talking like they've got some big secret. And I'm like, you guys, you don't, I mean, everybody, it's really about the execution anyways. But the thing that made the difference for me was, was being realizing this community is big. It's, it's much bigger than the city you're in. It is a nationwide community of shop owners. And that's really all it took is meeting some other people, networking, whether you do that through a coaching program or conferences or, you know, a smart group or a 20 group. You know, I think once you start hearing about the successes and uh, Cecil, you know, I mean, I have a story. I was on a road trip and my car broke down and I'm in Denver and, and where do I end up at uh, a great shop, Avalon Motorsports? And there was a networking opportunity and I'm half focused on getting my car fixed, but I'm looking around going, wow, look at this shop. Like people aren't running around like chickens with their heads cut off and it seems mm-hmm. kind of peaceful in here. Like, what are you guys doing? How is that? How does this happen? And I was very intrigued. And that was, that was some of the motivation I needed. It's like most of the time we're not reinventing the wheel. I mean, if, if you have a one-time discovery in your lifetime, that's a wonderful thing to have. Most of us are, you know, and I'll admit, I mean, I'm recycling. I have a couple of original ideas, but the majority of my processes are adapted from somebody else, maybe tweaked a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're willing to kind of look out there, but you need the network of people. You need to see other people who have done it and look that person in the eye and go, oh, okay, you really are doing it. This isn't bullshit. I think years ago I thought, you know, there's the good shops out there and then there's the shops that just make a lot of money and rake people over the coals. And, you know, I, I think I just see it differently now. I, there's maybe a very small percentage of people, but honestly, the shop that rakes people over the coals, they're going out of business. I mean, we're not, you can't be unethical. It's not sustainable. So, uh, but there really is a way to do both, to, to be financially sustainable and, and, and have great team and answer your customers well. That was my takeaway and it probably took several years to really 
sink in. <laughs> so, Alan, I, I see you hold up the stop sign, just stop. And I know that's kind of I, that's kind of like one of our mottos. <laughs> but how do you do that? I mean, it's really hard um, to just stop whatever bad behavior because it's a habit. I'm in I'm in this habit of, you know, we, we well, get up every morning, we do the same thing over and over, we get the same result. But I don't know how to get out of that. I don't know how to just stop. You need a pattern. Like in, in advertising, we call it a pattern interrupt. Like, like the, when you're scrolling through Facebook, you need something that's going to stop that person. You need something that's going to, um, you need a pattern interrupt in your daily routine um, and in your mindset and in your um, thought process. And I, I love what Ryan was saying because that's what I do. I, I get that pattern interrupt at minimum once a quarter, but I try to do it more often by going out and networking with other successful shop owners and, and going to other shops and talking to people. If you can't physically, because a lot of shop owners listening to this, they're, they're, they're feeling swamped, you know, and they're not watching it right now. They're watching it later in the car or something, you know, and, and you can't get out of your shop, but find a way, go to a weekend, like management training, um, go talk to other shop owners and, and, and find out, find the successful ones and go see them. Like I went down to Knoxville to another group meeting that I'm not even a part of because I knew they were going to a, a successful shop and I wanted to see that guy's shop and see his operation and see how it was done. And I learned a lot in that trip. Um, and, and it was a weekend trip. I didn't need, well, no, no, it was during the week. But oh, even still, it was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth every bit of it. Um, yeah. I used to close my shop cause I was, I started just me. And then, you know, I was doing everything. And then we, I evolved and eventually got more technicians. And now I'm still doing all the sales, but not all the work. And um, groomed my guy, trained him. He got better. Now he's my foreman. And he can manage the next guy I, ha I hired. And now I'm a full-time service advisor. And now I build some more. And now, but, but all along, while I'm an advisor, um, the shop can't be open because I can't have my technician answering the phone and making sales. He doesn't know how to do that. When I would go to these meetings for two days, I would literally close the shop for two days and go to these meetings. And it was a hit and it, and it hurt. But, you know, I just took a minimal paycheck out of the place that I needed to survive, which I still do because I'm still growing. And, um, and I did it. And now here I am. And now I have an advisor and, um, and I have him groomed. And thank you, Cecil. He's in your program and he's loving it. But, I mean, he's just crushing it. You know, he buys into my culture. He buys into what I believe in. Because, first of all, I believe in it. I believe what I do. I believe in um, everything that we do and how it's – I believe in being the most <laughs> really expensive is, is – is, uh, so, should I say, I believe in not being the cheap shop because that shop's not going to succeed. That shop's not going to have what it needs to succeed um, okay. in so many different levels. Yeah, especially as the industry changes. All right. We're, we're at the end. We got a, a couple of minutes. Um, uh, quick advice, 30-second advice for uh, the shops that are listening. Uh, Alan, we'll start with you. 30-second advice. I've taken, a lot of, uh, I've taken a lot of time already here, but seriously, stop it. I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, you're making excuses. Just instead of making excuses, um, just see, find out how to get around it. You know where you need to be. Don't make excuses for the way to get the, the path to get there. Just find a way to make the path to get there. Any, any excuse you make is, is con, con, contradictory to success. Exactly. So don't. Yeah. So okay. stop making excuses. 
Final right, Ryan, 30 second advice. You need a community of other shop owners. If you can find it in your own town, great. Call them up, say, hey, I'd like to come visit your shop. Maybe you come visit my shop. If that's not comfortable, or you're worried about competition, uh, look into joining a 20 group. Most of your parts suppliers will have some kind of 20 group or mastermind group. There's other ones out there. You need to network with other shop owners, see their shops, how they do things. Uh, trade magazines are a great place as well to kind of find out what other shop owners are doing. Podcasts. Um, podcasts like this, sure. Um, you just, yeah, don't stay in your bubble. Uh, look at what other people are doing. And, I, you know, if you think it's not going to work in your area, just take a real hard look and, and I think you'll be surprised. Last but not least, Tom, 30 seconds. So something needs to change. Uh, so most shop owners, we have something we're hung up on, and uh, we just keep doing the same thing over and over again. So you need to do something that scares you, something uncomfortable. So uh, my advice would be to have a really strong why, and everything that you're going to do, have a very strong why you want to do it. Uh, even something as simple as uh, losing weight. You know, why, why do you want to lose weight? What does that look like when you do it? Uh, so having a really strong why will, I think, uh, help you get over the hurdle of uh, creating these excuses and then uh, make sure you write it down as well. So. All right. Uh, thank you. I want to thank you guys for being here, Alan and, and Tom and Ryan. Um, we run the Worldpack Smart Groups. If you're interested in Worldpack Smart Groups, you can find us at worldpack.com uh, slash training, uh, management training. Um, you're welcome to come to a meeting, uh, no charge for the first meeting and, and see what we do. Uh, thank you for your time. Thanks for coming guys. Once again, you don't know how much I appreciate you. Um, and so have a great day, everyone. Thank you. Take care. Bye now. Join us next time as the leading edge panel gets into what makes a premium service premium and everything that goes with it. Subscribe at institutesleadingedge.podbean.com so you don't miss out. Or find us on Spotify and iTunes at The Leading Edge. Join the Institute group on Facebook and get advice from other top shop owners as well as our experienced consultants. Brought to you by the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Thanks for listening.